uh, how technology can help us uh, to, to come together and meet one another. And it's great to see so many people from all over the country and, and maybe even further afield. Um, people that we wouldn't necessarily see every Sunday morning. Um, so really excited about what God is going to do this morning and what he's going to say to us. But we have quite a few notices um, this morning um, before we get into the service proper. Um, first thing to say is, in case you've forgotten, we have communion later this morning. So make sure you've got your juice and bread handy. Um, so we'll be sharing communion a little bit later in the service. And I'd also, um, you're probably aware, but we are, have started our Sunday, our Monday morning prayer meetings again. And we're, we're doing those over Zoom as we do with the Sunday service. And I really encourage you um, to join those services on a Monday morning from 9.30 if possible. And this week we're going to be using uh, the blessing prayer um, that was sent out in the, in the news sheet this week. So if you want to join, please bring that with you. And a couple of other church meetings that we have coming up, which are, for some people, quite important. Um, on the 29th of, of June at 7.30, or from 7.30, for 8 o'clock, we have a, a practice church meeting um, for the special church meeting that is going to be held on the 7th of July at 7.30. Again, these are going to be held over Zoom. And you can connect with a, a computer, smartphone, or a tablet, just the same as you do on a Sunday morning. But if you haven't got one of those available, you can also connect over an ordinary phone. Um, and for more details of that and how you do that, please contact Nigel. And finally, I'd just um, like to ask you to continue to pray for the Alpha courses that we're running on a Tuesday evening with the youth and on a, a Thursday morning. They're going really well, but obviously we need to soak everything in prayer. So please continue to pray for those. So that's all the, uh, all the notices. And it's probably not escaped your attention that it's actually Father's Day today. A day when traditionally fatherhood is celebrated and, and we celebrate good fathers, but obviously, we're aware that not everyone's experience of fathers is positive. It can be a really sensitive area. But as Christians, we have a father in heaven that is always loving, always caring, a father who will never let us down, will never leave us or abandon us, and a father that deserves all our praise and adoration. So just as we come to worship, I thought I'd read a brief scripture about the goodness of our Heavenly Father. This is from Psalm 68, just verses four to six, just a really quick scripture. Sing praise to God and to his name. Sing loud praises to him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord. Rejoice in his presence. Father to the fatherless, defender of widows, this is God whose dwelling is holy. God places lonely, the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives joy to them. It's not that we ignore the bad experiences that, that we have with our, heavenly father, with our earthly fathers, but that our heavenly father, in his love for us, can mend the brokenhearted. He can heal the hurt we've experienced. The Father is love, and he wants to make each of us whole again, restoring us to the fullness of life. So now let's come and worship that loving Heavenly Father. Sam's just going to lead us in a couple of songs now. Oh, pray, love, 
safety and our shield, our protection and our strength. Your love overwhelms us, a love so great that you took on human form, died and rose again to reconcile each one of us to our Heavenly Father. That by grace we are saved, not through our actions, but yours. You are amazing. Thank you so much, Lord. Amen. Amen. So, thanks, Sam. That was that was really great. Um, we're back to videos this week, so um, we now have uh, a video about uh, the life of Peter. I hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. It's really good to be back, but I just wanted to say a big thank you for Tony for stepping in last week. Great job, Tony. In our sermon series at the moment, we're looking at the book of 1 Peter, so I thought it might be helpful to take a brief look at a bit of the backstory, the life of Peter. Before Jesus called him, Peter wasn't even called Peter, but Simon. Back then, Simon was a fisherman. As a fisherman, he would have been pretty strong and probably quite a rough, tough guy. It wasn't easy being a fisherman back in those days. Simon was the first disciple Jesus called, along with his brother Andrew. Simon was used to being in charge, but when Jesus called him, he immediately left his own life behind him and followed Jesus. He went from being a leader to being a follower. 
over the next weeks and months. Simon watched Jesus performing all sorts of amazing miracles, healing the sick, including Simon's own mother. Feeding thousands of people with very little food. Commanding storms to be calm and quiet. And even raising the dead. He learned from Jesus day by day. He listened as Jesus taught in the synagogues and spoke to the people, telling them how they should live their lives truthfully and justly and how they should pray. One day, Jesus asked the 12 disciples who the people thought that he was. They answered, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets of old. Then Jesus asked, but who do you say that I am? Simon got up and answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The name Peter actually means rock. Jesus was calling Peter the rock. I wonder, what do you think of when you hear the words, the rock? Maybe you think of a large boulder. Or maybe an outcrop jutting out into the sea. Some of you may be even picturing Dwayne The Rock Johnson, so called because he was strong, a real tough guy. Maybe a little bit like Simon Peter when he was a fisherman. Others may be thinking of a building built on the strong, firm foundations of a rock. A little while earlier, while Jesus was teaching the people, he told a story about building. We probably all know it. The foolish builders who built their house on the sand with no foundations, and when it rained and the storms came, the building collapsed. And the wise builders who chose to build their house on solid rock so that it would withstand all the storms that life threw at it. Jesus is telling Peter that he is going to become the foundations for a new movement of followers of Christ, soon to be called Christians. And through him, this movement would continue to fulfill the promise that God made to Abraham. The promises that we heard a few weeks ago. Jesus is telling him that because his foundations are built on his faith in Jesus, he will stand firm and persevere through all of life's storms. Dwayne Johnson relied on his own strength and power, his size and his skills for his security. Simon, Peter, when he was a fisherman, would have also relied on his strength and skills as a fisherman to keep him safe at sea. But when Simon Peter met Jesus, his perspective changed. He realized that he could only find real security in Jesus. And so he built his life on the foundations of Jesus, the Christ. Not that life was going to be easy from then on, it wasn't. Or that he would always get it right, because he didn't, as we'll see over the next few weeks. But because he had a firm foundation, he was able to endure and persevere. So we too must build our lives on Jesus so that we can stay strong through everything life throws at us, safe 
in the knowledge that Jesus is always with us, helping and protecting us through the power of his Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Um, sounds a bit odd when I'm saying that, but there we go. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that. Um, as I mentioned earlier, um, we are going to be sharing communion together this morning, and um, it, it's now that time. So I hope you've got uh, your juice and your bread ready, and I'm going to hand over to Martin. Thank you, Mark. I'm just going to read some, uh, some words from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, which show us how through the death of Jesus, Jesus has laid a foundation, and on that foundation he builds his church. Ephesians 2, verse 11. Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create, create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So through Jesus, the wall in the temple that divided Jew and Gentile has been torn down. And now all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, of all languages, races, ethnicities, have access to God through Jesus by faith. So there is one family of God, the church. And Jesus' blood was shed on the cross to bring peace between people of all ethnicities, all races, all backgrounds, all languages. So where we see racial inequality and racial just injustice, it is right that we pray for God's justice to come more fully in our nation, our schools, our judicial system, our churches, our own individual lives. And it's right that we pray for Christians who are suffering the injustice of persecution throughout the world. It's right that we come again at the communion table to seek forgiveness for our sin and to thank God that his justice was poured out, not in punishment for our sin, but on his own son who became sin for us. And so we remember Paul's words in Corinthians of the institution of the Lord's Supper, 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Jesus, as we consider the bread in front of us, we remember that you said, I am the bread of life and whoever feeds on me will never be hungry. And so we ask bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed me now and evermore. Thank you that you gave your body, your life to death on the cross as a sacrifice for our sin. And so we come now feeding on your body by faith, 
through the power of the Holy Spirit, feed us, cleanse us, forgive us, put us right with you. And we just thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to make that sacrifice for us. Amen. And so we take bread as Jesus took it and we break it, remembering that just as there is one loaf divided into many, so in the church we are one body and many members. So we take and eat, giving thanks that Christ's body was broken for us. We remember that in the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us pray. Jesus, as we remember the wine, we're reminded of your blood your blood which was shed for the forgiveness of our sin and your blood that was shed for the establishment of a new covenant relationship where the Holy Spirit writes God's law on our hearts and where we are adopted children of our Father in heaven. Jesus, thank you that your blood brings peace and reconciliation between ourselves and you by faith in Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that through your death, through your shed blood, you have broken down the enmity, the hostility of our sin that separated us from our Father in heaven. Thank you, Jesus, for breaking down that wall through your death and resurrection and opening up access to God our Father. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. And so in the same way, Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So we drink together, giving thanks. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a just God, but thank you that in your justice, you chose that your son Jesus should pay the penalty of our sin, which is death. You did this because you love us and you offer us forgiveness and reconciliation and new life through Jesus. But Lord, you call us to work and pray for justice in our world. So we pray now for ourselves. Lord, forgive us and have mercy on us where we have been passive, indifferent and apathetic in the face of racism and inequality in our own nation. Lord, we remember that evil triumphs when good people do nothing. And we confess, Lord, that in our complacency, we have not always sought to understand racism or injustice. We have not tried to stand in the shoes of others. Lord, help us to stand up against the evil of racism in our own nation. Let us as the church be a prophetic witness in our community and in our nation at this time. Lord, we pray for our politicians, for our schools, our workplaces, for our churches, that Lord, you would raise up Christians who can prophetically speak into this injustice. Lord, we pray that we would work together and to see an end to this evil. And Lord, we pray too for justice for Christians suffering persecution in our world. Lord, we remember today Christians in North Korea. Lord, thank you for their steadfastness 
standing firm in the faith despite the severe punishment it can bring. Lord, we pray that you give to Christians in North Korea grace day by day, hour by hour, especially those who are right now in harsh labor camps, who are starved and tortured. We pray also for those who persecute them, that you would soften their hearts, cause them to question what motivates the endurance of those they are so cruelly ill-treating, and let them hear your voice calling them. And closer to home, we continue to pray for, for those workers on the front line fighting against the virus. We lift before you care workers, doctors, nurses. Lord, give them the strength, the energy to continue to care. We know, Lord, that so many of these workers are tired and worn out from non-stop care. Lord, we just lift them to you. And Lord, we ask that you just fill them afresh with your Holy Spirit particularly, Lord, the Christians that we know are working as doctors, nurses and care workers. Lord, we continue to pray your protection on those working on the front line, for teachers, for pupils, for those going back to work. And Lord, we pray for wisdom for our government as they seek to take further action in easing lockdown. Lord, we pray that you would guide them step by step to do the right thing at the right time. Lord, we pray especially that churches would be able to begin to meet again in, at the right time and in the right way. We pray for wisdom, Lord, in knowing how to begin to serve our communities again when the time comes. Lord, we pray for those in our churches who need a touch of your mercy, healing, grace and help. Lord, we pray today for Lawson. We pray for Bob. We pray for Edith. We pray for Sylvia. Lord, we pray for your healing grace and help for them. In a moment of silence, we just let us each lift friends, family, church members to God in a moment of silence. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer, we pray. Amen. Thanks, Martin. It's great to share communion together, isn't it? Even though we're remote, to celebrate what Jesus has done for us. And um, so now, just before Martin comes to speak to us again, um, Tim is going to bring us our reading, and it's 1 Peter 2, verses 4 to 10. So over to you, Tim. Living stone and the chosen people. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they are destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Thanks, Tim. So as Martin comes to speak to us, I'll just pray for him. 
Dear Lord, we thank you for the word that you've given to your servant, Martin. We thank you that you have laid this word on, on his heart. And we just ask that you would speak to each one of us as we were with him in person, but really speak to our hearts, speak to our minds through your servant, Martin. So I just ask you would fill him with your Holy Spirit now and bless him as he brings your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Mark. Another, another cracking video there. Really appreciate you telling us the, the story of, of Peter's call to follow Jesus. It's really, really, really helpful. So thank you for that. Um, I, I don't, you probably can't see my lanyard, but um, every time I, I go into our local secondary school, Fulbrook School, um, as a governor, I have to wear this lanyard with this um, badge. Um, I am the uh, governor for safeguarding um, in our local school. And uh, on the badge that I have to wear is my photo, um, my name, and it also says uh, governor for, for safeguarding. And I can get into the school if I wanted to any time of day by, it's got a code, barcode thing on the back which lets me in the door. So really exciting privileges of being a school governor. You know, <laughs> I, I, I commend it to you. But when, when I'm wearing uh, this lanyard and badge around the school, it gives me a sense of security and confidence in knowing that I have a purpose for being there. It would be a bit weird, wouldn't it, if I was wandering around the school without any form of identification. I would feel uncomfortable and I'm sure the staff and uh, kids would stop me pretty soon and, what, and ask me what I was doing there. But it, it, it means that I'm known to the school and I have a reason and purpose to be in the school because I have an identity. Uh, in the school. And uh, as the people of God, as the church, we too have an identity and purpose which we carry around with us at all times and in all places. And Peter says that as Christians, our identity collectively as the church is that we are like living stones being built into a spiritual house. And he also describes us collectively as a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. These terms we saw, didn't we, in the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 19, and also in Isaiah 43. Israel, God's chosen people, were called a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And now Peter applies those terms, not just to the Jews, to Israel, to God's chosen people, but to all those, whether Jew or Gentile, who come to Christ and are included in his church are now God's chosen people. And just as in the Old Testament, Israel were called to worship God and keep his commands, and in that way would make God known to the other nations, so we also are in covenant relationship with God. He gives us his commands and teachings, and he calls us to be holy. He calls us to keep his commands, and to shine the light of his presence and goodness and justice and truth into our world, into our families, our communities, our workplace. Um, so we have the same calling as Israel had to make God known through living holy lives as God's chosen people. And this identity as God's chosen people, his holy nation, his royal priesthood, is really important for us to hold on to. Did you know that we are God's precious people. He's chosen us for a purpose. He's chosen us in Christ to declare his praises. Um, and this is really, really important for us to know who we are. Our identity in Christ gives us a real security in our culture at this time. You're, you're probably aware, but our culture is becoming increasingly suspicious of Christians, cynical about Christianity and the church, and sometimes even outright hostile to Christianity in the church. So it's really important that we hold on to who we are, our identity, as God's precious, chosen, adopted children. We are precious to God. We have been called for the purpose of making him known. And so as we hold on to that identity, it gives us a confidence in an increasingly um, secular culture to be the people of God. So I want to look at a few things about our identity as 
the people of God this morning. So first of all, Jesus, the new foundation. Um, in the Old Testament, as we saw in the book of Exodus, the temple was the place where God promised to meet his people. And there the priests represented God to the people as they taught the law. And the priests represented the people to God as they prayed for the people and brought sacrifices to God on behalf of the people for the forgiveness of their sin. And together, priests and people represented God's rule and presence to the other nations. But then we remember that God exiled Israel from their land because they disobeyed his law. And as exiles, they had no access to the temple back in Jerusalem. Exile, though, was not forever. The prophets announced that God would one day restore and rebuild his temple. He'd reestablish Jerusalem and the temple. So Isaiah declared in Isaiah 28, 16 on the screen there, see, I lay in a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. So the temple, we know in, through the prophets like Haggai, was rebuilt, but it was never as grand as the temple in David's day. It was never as uh, incredibly rich and ornate and large as the temple was before. And so the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy really came with the coming of Jesus. And when Jesus walked on earth, he declared that he was now the temple, the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. He said this in John chapter two, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. John says he was speaking about the temple of his body. So the temple had become personal. It was the place of God's meeting with his people was now in the person of his own son, Jesus. God's rule was displayed to the world through Jesus. Sins could be forgiven through Jesus. God's teaching was coming not through the priests in the temple, but through Jesus. And according to Peter, Jesus, the new temple, now fulfills Isaiah 28, verse 16, um, as he says in 1 Peter 2. Verse four, as you come to him, the living stone. So we are now to come to Jesus, who is the living stone. Jesus is the temple in one sense, but he's also the first foundation stone. That's the cornerstone to be laid of a new spiritual temple. The cornerstone was the stone that anchored and orientated the building of the whole of the rest of the building. It was the stone on which the whole building rested and was orientated. But we know that not everyone honoured Jesus and recognised him as the precious cornerstone of a new spiritual temple. The Jews had still had plans to build their own temple that didn't include Jesus. And so they rejected God's precious cornerstone, Jesus. And the same is true today. Many people recognize Jesus as a very wise and great teacher. Um, Jesus is widely respected by historians and um, secular philosophers and in wider society. He's widely respected for his teachings. But a lot of people dismiss him as the son of God. But for those who reject Jesus as the son of God, he becomes a stumbling block to God. Um, we can only know God and know God's peace and forgiveness and eternal life and joy by coming to God through Jesus. So we either come to Jesus and are built into his temple as living stones or we trip over Jesus. He becomes a stumbling block or a, or a stone that makes people fall. Um, if we imagine our lives as being like a building... I don't know what sort of um, building you would be. Um, sounds like the start of a seminar, doesn't it? That you cringe at, but I, I don't know what sort of building you would imagine yourself to be. But Jesus is not willing to be one brick in the building of our lives. In fact, it's the other way around. He challenges you and me to be built into his building, his spiritual temple. Um, and we can come to Jesus by faith and be built into God's spiritual temple. And if we will do this, if we'll come to Jesus, he will bring us forgiveness and joy and purpose and a new identity as his chosen people, as his church. We will receive forgiveness and peace and reconciliation and eternal life. 
But if we reject Jesus and refuse to come to him for life, we will trip over him. We will stumble over him and we will be rejected by God forever. Now, we need to be respectful and gentle in sharing the good news of Jesus with others, in calling others to come to him, the living stone. But we need to understand that for some, Jesus will always be a stumbling block. So we shouldn't be surprised when we're presenting the gospel, when we're witnessing in any way, whether that be an alpha course or out there in the world, some people will find the idea of Jesus offensive. Not because he was a great prophet or teacher, that doesn't offend anyone. It's the fact that Jesus was the son of God who had to come and die for our sin in order to provide a way back to God that causes the offense and is the stumbling block to people. A general rule of thumb is this, our behavior as Christians should never offend, but the truth about Jesus sometimes will. Let me repeat that. Our behavior as Christians should never offend, but the truth about Jesus sometimes will. So moving on, um, the church is a spiritual house. Um, those who decide that Jesus is the son of God and come to him by faith are like living stones being built into a spiritual house. So Peter means that Christians come together in the church and are God's temple where the Holy Spirit dwells. Now, all Christians are indwelled individually by the Holy Spirit, and therefore our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. But the repeated and dominant emphasis of the New Testament is that Christians, when they gather together, are the temple, the place where God's glory dwells, the place where the Holy Spirit inhabits and dwells in the praises of his people. So we are living stones made to be built into a living building. I've said this before, but this is why when we come together as Christians to worship and pray, there is an uplift that we feel. Uh, and that is because the Holy Spirit dwells powerfully and intensively among his people when Christians get together. So even virtually online, when, we, when all of us individual temples of the Holy Spirit come together, we are built... Um, into a, a, a spiritual temple. Now on my screen at the moment, it's like each one of you is like a, a, a block, a brick in the wall. I can see you as lots of rectangles with your faces on. And it's like, um, you know, those London bricks, those rectangular London bricks. So apologies to those of you who don't live in the Southeast, but down here in the Southeast, we have these rectangular red bricks that a lot of houses are built with. And um, it's like you're all, all your faces are like built into a, a wall this morning. And it reminds me that we are spiritual living stones built into the spiritual, into a spiritual temple. Um, and isn't it wonderful to remember that even virtually or remotely as we are this morning, God's spirit dwells among us as we come together, even virtually. This, mean, this means, folks, that however hostile or cynical or suspicious of the church and of Christians our culture gets in the future, God promises to dwell in us and with us and through us whenever we gather together. So whenever you come to worship, whenever you gather to pray with other Christians, God's spirit is there and he wants to encourage you and strengthen you and give you confidence in the faith. Isn't that wonderful? Doesn't that make you want to worship and gather with other Christians as often as possible? knowing that wherever you come together with other living stones, God's spirit is especially present there. Isn't that a wonderful promise? It makes me want to pray. It makes me want to worship. It makes me want to gather with other spiritual stones because I know that God's spirit will dwell there and I'll be uplifted and strengthened. So all this means that we're part of something larger than ourselves. No matter where we are, whether we're in uh, Lincoln, whether we're in... Um, Warwickshire, whether we're in France, uh, I'm going to miss a county out here, whether we're, whether we're in Kent, whether we're in Surrey, Wiltshire, um, Hampshire, Keith and Keith, is that right? Keith and Mary, Hampshire, what, I've missed, I know I've missed somebody, I apologise. Wherever we are, we're part of a gathering of God's people, God's temple. 
And God promises to continue to bring people from all counties, different nations, different ethnicities, different generations, different socioeconomic backgrounds together in Christ. We are praying and working towards in our church vision a demographic of ethnicity and ages that more fully represents our local community. Um, we have an ethnically diverse community in which we live in New Hall, and uh, we want to see God um, move in power that we would more as a church represent that ethnicity, that diversity. And also in terms of our ages, we have far more 20s and 30s and 40s in our community than we do have in our church. So at the present, we do not represent the ethnicity and the age profile of our local community. And we, we are praying about that and working in mission uh, towards seeing um, more spiritual stones being built into our church that reflects the demographic and the socioeconomic um, makeup of our community. Sorry, I would add another category to what I've just described. You know, we, we need to see people of, um, of a lower socioeconomic um, background built into our church community too. Um, so we're working in mission towards that too. There are gaps, in other words, in the walls of our spiritual house. We want to see more bricks uh, built in. So we want to pray for that and work towards that. The challenge to us this morning, Jesus says, regardless of our socioeconomic background, our colour, our race, our ethnicity, Jesus says to all people of all backgrounds, come to me. And he invites all of us to come to him, the living stone. Now, the challenge to us as a church is, are we welcoming, as Jesus is welcoming, to all socioeconomic groups, ethnicities, age profiles? Because Jesus is inviting them. We as a church also need to be inviting and welcoming to people. Because God is having, God's building project is far bigger than we can ask or imagine. And he wants us to be part of that building project. Uh, the, lastly, the church is a holy priesthood. Uh, verse five, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What does Peter mean by the fact that we are a holy priesthood or a royal priesthood? Well, the idea of priesthood is mediation. The, the priests in the temple represented God to the people by communicating God's word to them. But the priests also represented the people before God by bringing their offerings and prayers to God, by offering sacrifices for the forgiveness of the sins of the people. But of course, Jesus has already offered the once and for all sacrifice in his own death on the cross. So we don't need to bring physical sacrifices anymore because Jesus' death is once and for all. He's paid the penalty for our sin once and for all and perfectly. He's put us right with God. But we are called to offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus. What does this mean? Well, Peter tells us in verse nine, um, we can put, yeah, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So to be a royal priesthood is to mediate God's presence to our families, our workplaces, our community through, through our words, but also through good deeds, through actions. So we're to declare the praises of God with our mouth as we worship and pray and bear witness to, to Jesus in our own lives. But also 1 Peter 2.12 12 says that we're to do good deeds live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So standing up against um, racial inequality, against racism, is a good deed. We don't want evil to triumph because we do nothing. We have to stand up against evil and be light in a dark world. We have to be salt, a preservative, bringing the morals, the goodness of God to bear on our community and on our nation. So we are to speak out and we are to act against injustice and evil, displaying God's glory. And we do that, of course, in our own families, amongst our neighbours, amongst um, our work colleagues, on our front lines. Wherever we go, we are to speak out 
God's truth as we bear witness to Jesus, and we're to live out such good lives among the pagans that the glory goes to God above. So there are two building projects in our world. The world is building its own structures. Um, every, time we go, every time I go up to London, there seem to be cranes and more skyscrapers being built, don't they? We're always seeking to go higher and further than we've gone. And of course, these technological advances are, are often good. They're, they're for the good of the human race. Um, but there's also mixed motives sometimes for, for human development. We, we seek to go further and higher than we've gone before, and often independently of God. But God is building uh, a temple that will last for eternity. It's not like technological advancements that, that, are, that will blow away like chaff or flowers of the field one day. God's building project, the church, is for eternity. And he's building you and I into a spiritual temple that will last for eternity. So when you look at the people on the screen this morning, these are bricks, living stones, that are built into God's temple forever. Isn't that wonderful? This is an eternal building project, not a temporary one. So to sum up, we have a new identity in Christ as a holy priesthood, a, a, a people belonging to God, a people precious to him as living stones. And we're called as living stones to invite people to come to Jesus, the living stone, and be built into his spiritual temple. That's our purpose. That's our identity. We are the living stones called to call people to become part of God's spiritual temple. Knowing who we are gives us confidence in a secular world that's becoming increasingly suspicious, cynical, and hostile. So let's be confident in who we are in Christ, and let's make him known to the glory of God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that we have a new identity in you as living stones. Thank you that we are a people who belong to you, who are precious to you, and who are built into your spiritual temple. Jesus, help us to hold on with confidence to our identity in you. And thank you that we are built onto you, the cornerstone of our lives. And we ask Jesus that as we face uh, suspicion and cynicism and hostility in our world, that the confidence of our identity in Christ would cause us to speak out, to witness to Jesus, and also to stand up against evil and just injustice and darkness in our world that the glory would go to the Father through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Martin. So one of the things Martin said just, just then was that the Holy Spirit embodies and empowers and dwells in our worship. So we're now going to respond to that message, uh, and Sarah and Sam are going to lead us in our acts of, of response worship.
Thank you, Sam and Sarah. So in closing our service today, we've been talking about our foundations. We've been talking about our identity. Um, so I thought it might be good to actually reaffirm our beliefs. Um, and and the, the beliefs of the whole of the Christian church, in fact, um, back in, oh, many hundreds of years ago, 325 AD, um, there was a council called the Council of Nicaea, and they produced something called the Nicene Creed. And in fact, if you look at our belief statement on, on the church website, they're very closely aligned with the Nicene Creed. So I thought it might be good for us to pray the Nicene Creed together as we close this service. So it's going to come up on screen. I'm going to read it, but you might want to read it along uh, with me as we go. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is, seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation he came down from heaven. By the power of her Holy Spirit he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascends, ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and we look forward for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Yes, amen, Father. We thank you for all that you have done for us, for all your love for us, for all your goodness. Just go with us now into the world with your Holy Spirit. Empower us to share your love and your good news. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may 